0: We're going to go ahead and transition into our our sermon time, and Easter is an old holiday and an old story. You know, we gather this morning with millions and really billions of believers all across not just our country, but all across the whole world throughout this day on every time zone. And this morning, every single church everywhere is celebrating and focusing on the same exact thing. It shouldn't be any wonder. I doubt anyone is wondering, what in the world is the preacher going to talk about this morning? Well, it's Easter. We're going to talk about the story of Easter. But there actually are two stories of Easter. And so that's going to be our focus this morning, because we need to hear about which are the two competing stories of Easter. Easter is something that if you've grown up in church a long time or been a believer for a while, you can tend to become numb to the story. Or if we're not careful, we can embrace a different story of the resurrection other than the one we should. So there are two stories, and there's really only two stories about Easter, and the story that we choose to believe has eternal significance. So this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28, it's the very last chapter of the book, and we're going to be kind of on those 15 verses. We're not going to do the whole chapter. Um, But So if you would, go ahead and you can turn in your Bibles there. And we're going to talk about these two stories. We're going to talk about the story of the world. And we're going to talk about the story of the Word of God. And then our application. So I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. Um, I'd invite you, if you are able, um, to stand just as we read God's Word and the story of the resurrection. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would be here this morning. Lord, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the incredible privilege of getting to preach and proclaim your resurrection this morning. I pray that you would open up our ears, that you would soften our hearts, that you would allow everyone in this room to hear and to be pierced by the only story that matters, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. Lord, would we hear and reflect on the beauty and the glory of your resurrection. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So again, we're going to be talking about two stories this morning, the story of the world and the story of the word of God. And so the first story is the story of the world. And the world says, if you're taking notes in your first point, the world says that Jesus is dead. The world says that Jesus is dead. It's a fairly close to agreed upon historical fact that there was a Palestinian Jew named Jesus who lived and died and was executed by the Roman government around 30, 33 A.D. (laughs) Just a few decades ago, you would have been hard-pressed to find any serious scholar anywhere who studied this time period who would have said that, no, Jesus didn't exist at all. They would have said he did, clearly. And there were several historians, very early historians, the earliest historians we have from that time period wrote about Jesus. Josephus was one of the first historians, and he wrote really a history of the Jewish people, published it in 93 AD, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus. Didn't like Jesus, didn't really care about Jesus, but he said, hey, there's some dude named Jesus. Said he was the Messiah, and the Romans killed him. Then there was another historian, a Roman senator, who wrote about Jesus briefly a couple years later in 116 A.D. And he said, "There was a man named Jesus, and Pilate executed him." And there are plenty of others, but those are just two examples from early history. Neither of these guys liked Jesus or believed him, but they didn't doubt or say, "Well, you know, I'm not really sure this guy was alive." He said, "No, there was a dude was named Jesus. We killed him. He's dead." And they wrote about him. And the question. Really, for us, is not, well, did Jesus live, but is Jesus still alive or not? And we see how this story, the story of the world starts. It starts right away in our passage, doesn't it? Just as soon as the story of the resurrection goes forth, the story of the world goes forth as well. Verse 11, as they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and they told the chief priests all that had taken place. Which we'll talk more about all that had taken place, but so they're telling, "Hey, man, we saw some angels, we saw a bunch of miracles. Uh, this Jesus dude, he ain't dead anymore. He he's alive. What do what do we do?" <laughs> so they go and declare it to their bosses, right? The chief priests, the religious leaders of the community of the area, and when they had assembled, twelve the elders had taken counsel. And they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers to tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the chief priests and the elders, right, the people who are supposed to follow God, supposed to know God, be looking for God and the things of God, hear this news. They hear the story that Jesus is not dead. He is, in fact, alive. And they don't like that story very much. So they pay these guards. They bribe them to tell a different story. Instead of telling about the resurrection, they want them to tell a deception. And it's significant to see in verse 13 how, they're, again, they're told, tell people. And if you go back in verse 7, the angel tells the women, tell his disciples. And see, I have told you. And then Jesus later in 10 says, tell my brothers. So I think intentionally Matthew is setting this up to see there are two stories that people are telling about Jesus. And the world's story is that Jesus is dead. Verse 15, so they took the money and they started to tell the story. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The story that Jesus could not have come back from the dead, but something else had to have happened is not a new story. That isn't something that we figured out now because we're so much smarter, because we have Google, or we went through the Enlightenment, so now we know they were dumb. No, this is a very old story that started from the beginning. There's nothing new under the sun. And the world story about Easter started that first Easter morning as well. And the world sends out its messengers to declare that Jesus is dead. The tomb might be empty, but there's something else that's going on. He's, we know he's dead. And if you ask the, the average person, not just probably in this country, but around the world, what do you think about Jesus? Do you think he really was resurrected miraculously? They go, ah, probably not. They may have different versions of what they think did or didn't happen, but it centers around the same thing. Jesus is dead. And the world will continue to have new stories, right? People repeat the old story while the disciples clearly stole his body and they're all pretending. Or I've heard new stories. I've heard people say, well, you know, maybe the women were just really dumb and they went to the wrong tomb. (laughs) And they just, oh, wow, it's empty. He must be alive. You know, maybe that's what happened. Some people tried to say, you know, these Roman guards and soldiers are really just terrible at their jobs. I don't think they knew how to kill people. And so they probably just didn't really kill Jesus. And then they dumped him in the tomb and no one noticed he was still alive. And he just laid in there and somehow didn't bleed to death. and without medical attention, survived and came out. Maybe that's what happened. But then, you know, he died later. Or some will say, oh, it must have just been a mirage. Maybe the disciples and these women, they're very genuine. They're good people. You know, they mean well, but they must have just imagined it. Maybe they all had a schizophrenic break. They started having mass hallucinations and believing something. Those are old stories. There will be new stories tomorrow and the next day and next Easter that the world will come up with. But all of them come down to, well, Jesus is dead. The resurrection is not true. But it's interesting when you see the reaction of the chief priests and the elders in 12. Well, they hear this story and what do they do? They get together and they take counsel. Why? Well, they know that, well, if Jesus is alive, that means something. If Jesus is really alive, then we're in trouble. If Jesus really came back from the dead, then we were wrong and he was right. Right? If Jesus really came back from the grave, then he was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the one we were longing for. If Jesus really was, if he really did come back from the grave, then our lives as chief priests and council, we're going to have to change what we're doing. Because the story of the resurrection demands following Jesus. If he really did come back from the grave, then you need to give your life to him. That's the reality. But how do they react? Well, it's significant because they don't seem to doubt that Jesus came back from the grave. They don't go to investigate the tomb for themselves. They don't need to go. They don't doubt the story. They don't say, no, 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 you must be wrong. This is what happened. They say, well, they got to take counsel. They got, well, Jesus is back. What are we going to do? We got to have a huddle. Got to have a big meeting and strategize and figure out what they're doing. They don't doubt that Jesus could have done this miracle. I think deep down in their bones, they knew this was true. They knew that Jesus came back from the dead. But they also knew that if Jesus really did come back from the dead, they needed to give their lives to him, and that was something they were unwilling to do. They don't want to embrace or celebrate the resurrection. They care more about their own power than they do about Jesus or than they do about the truth, the reality. They know that if they embrace Jesus, if they believe the resurrection, their lives have to change. And they love how their life is now more than they love the truth. And this is true for many of us still today. This may be true for some of us in this room. There are plenty in rooms and churches all across the country who who believe that Jesus came back from the dead, but are unwilling to give their lives to Him. Growing up in the church, being a pastor's kid, this was me for a while, right? I believe Jesus came back from the dead just like so I believe the sky is blue. Sure, that's just that's reality. But I don't really want to give him my life. I don't actually want to surrender to him. That might cost me something. I'm unwilling to pay that price. Like the Pharisees, I could believe, on one hand believe the story of the Bible and on the other hand not really care about it or not let it change me. This may be where some of you are this morning. Or there may be some who know that the story is true, but would rather believe the story of the world because you know the cost. Like the Pharisees knew the cost, and following Jesus was too much for them. The guards of the tomb knew the reality of the story. They saw the earthquakes. They saw the angels. They saw the declaration. They believed that Jesus was come back from the dead, but they didn't want to embrace the story because it literally would have cost them some money. It would have hurt their pocketbook. We don't know exactly how the details of that came out. I don't know if there was a negotiation. Maybe at first they're like, no, 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 we know this is true. And as money keeps going on the table, they go, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he didn't come back. Maybe he is dead. And this is where some of us are. Some don't want to believe the resurrection, not because we doubt its historicity, but because we're unwilling to pay the price. Maybe like the guards, we love money more than we love Jesus. We know if we follow Jesus, he gets to be in charge of our money, and we don't like that. I want to be in charge of my money. we love our sin more than we love Jesus. We love our addiction. We love our pride. We love being in charge of our life, and we don't want to give that up. The reality is that many believe the story of the world not because they think that it's true, but because they cannot afford it not to be true. That is the story of the world. The story of the world is that Jesus is dead. Let's turn to the story of the Word. But what does the Scripture say? The Word of God says that Jesus is alive. The Word of God says that Jesus is alive. And not just the Word says, the angels say. The earthquakes say. The soldiers who were at the tomb saw and said, Jesus is alive. The women who were the first witnesses proclaim that Jesus is alive alive. Jesus himself in his own words says, hey, I'm here, I'm alive. The disciples who saw him and touched him and ate with him and knew him say that Jesus is alive. 2,000 years of church history and tradition rooted and centered on this historical fact declares that Jesus is alive. And the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, trustworthy word of God tells us Jesus is alive. Alive. Jesus is not dead. At this very moment, He is living in a physical body. There is blood pumping in His heart. And His limbs move around in physical space. And Scripture in other places tells us that at this very moment, He is standing before the throne of God, interceding for you. Praying for you that your name has come across his lips. And for many of us this morning, his prayer has been or is that we would believe and embrace the resurrection, that he is alive. And the resurrection is a miraculous event. It isn't a crazy accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not an oversight by incompetent executioners. It's not a cute bedtime story or a nice book from literature. The resurrection is the greatest miracle in the history of time itself. And we see from the beginning of chapter 28 that it's not just... The resurrection is not the only miracle that takes place in this passage. There's a number of miracles that happen here. Right in the beginning. And behold, verse 2, there was a great earthquake. angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. There's a couple of miracles that take place right there in this short verse. First miracle that happens is there's a great earthquake. Okay, I don't know if you felt a great earthquake before or felt an earthquake before. Okay, I've only been in Oklahoma for a year. I haven't felt any yet. I don't think we get lots of those here. But I've felt a few in my time of living in different states. And I've been told they're very minor earthquakes. But for me, having never felt an earthquake, they felt pretty major. Felt kind of terrifying. Because okay, when you feel an earthquake, what do you what do? You, do? Well, you just got to go outside and pray. that's all you can do. Right? You can't pull out duct tape and try and stitch the earth back together and hold it. it, When earthquakes come, it feels as if God's hands are on the earth shaking it. When the walls are shaking and things are falling off the shelves, it's pretty terrifying. And you realize in those moments our own powerlessness, don't you? Well, this seems to be a big earthquake. And the earth shakes and quakes to reveal miraculously and to proclaim the Earth itself is crying out, "Jesus is alive." But yet this, mass, this massive earthquake, it's a miracle, but it's not the greatest miracle. And after the earthquake, you have an angel who descends from heaven. So an earthquake's impressive, but now you have an angel that shows up. Okay, I've never seen an angel. That would be pretty impressive and miraculous, I think. To see an angel. Not just to see one pop up. He doesn't just appear. But they see him slowly descending down from heaven. They don't just turn and pop. There he is. It's Oh, wow, what's that? Uh, looks like an angel. And here it comes. And it just continues to slowly descend right above them until it sits on top of the stone. As the earth is shaking around them, they see this angel coming. That's miraculous. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of miracle you would never forget. Right? You'd have to run and tell somebody, dude, the earth was shaking. I saw this. It looked like an angel. I don't know what else it was, but it was coming out of the sky. Something you tell your grandchildren. But that's not the greatest miracle that happens yet. And this angel is described in verse 3. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. There's no doubt that this is an angel. This is somebody on high wire. They even could have had that. And what does it mean for somebody who looks like lightning? I have no idea. But that sounds kind of terrifying. It sounds brilliant. And his clothes are are white as snow. Looking at him, he just seems miraculous. And then as he descends, he comes and he rolls back the stone and sits on it. So if you're like me and you see an angel descending down from heaven, if that ever happened, you would probably think, man, am I seeing something? What's going on? Did I eat something today? Did I forget to take some pills? These glasses are new, so I'm still kind of adjusting to them. Things are a little blurry. I may have not got the right prescription. I don't know. You know so if this happened to me, I'd think, okay, something's wrong with my glasses. I really need to call the doctor now. I've got to stop putting this off. Like, I don't know what's happening. But to remove any doubt, this supernatural being that shows up comes and interacts in the physical world, and he moves away a heavy stone that took a, a bunch of soldiers to do. Just one person by themselves doing this would be a miracle. But no, it is an angel that does this. So there can be no doubt. Seeing that would be the greatest miracle you'd probably ever seen, but it's not the greatest miracle yet. And verse 4, they respond rightly, For fear him, the guards trembled and became like dead men why well they just know well they've just seen a handful of miracle thing, miraculous things and they know man god is doing something here i don't know what it is but i'm scared cuz what's coming next and all of those miracles that happened here and all of the miracles that jesus worked and all of the miracles before jesus all the miracles that the prophets and god has worked throughout time and history among his people were all a prelude to the greatest miracle And the angel says the most beautiful words He is not here, for He has risen. He has risen. He was dead once, but He is no longer. He is alive. The miracle of Easter is that Jesus is alive, He's not in the grave. His body was not stolen, it was not an oversight. It's He really was dead for our sins. And yet he has come back. He has defeated death. He, and look more at what the angel says in verse 6. For he has risen, as he said. He told you he would do this. Every time he tried to tell his disciples, hey, I'm going to die on the cross for you guys, and then I'm going to come back, they would go, uh, you know, shut up, Jesus. I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what to do with that. They couldn't comprehend. They couldn't understand and yet Jesus does just what he said. He kept his word. He promised that death was not the end. He promised that he was a king, not who came to conquer the Romans, but who came to conquer death and hell and sin. And that's what he did. But they didn't, you know, they wanted a king who would conquer nations, who would set them free, who would give them independence. And said so they got a much better king who gave them freedom, not from tyranny, but from the tyranny of death and sin and brokenness. And this king does exactly what he says. He keeps his word even when that word seems impossible, even when that word makes no sense. And keep reading. He says in, in 6, he's not here for he is risen. And the angel says, come see the place where he lay. Look, the tomb is empty. Come poke around. He's alive. And the women then are given a command. It's the same command that the guards got in 13. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. These two Marys are the first witnesses and preachers of the resurrection. And they're commanded to go, as all of us are, to go and tell the story. Go and tell people the story of Easter, that Jesus has come back from the grave. And I I love this. Not just tell the world that Jesus is alive, but verse 7, Then go quickly, tell his disciples he's risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly. I would depart quickly too. They showed up that morning. Maybe they showed up in hope. Maybe thinking, dreaming. You know, maybe he really did do what he said. Maybe they came filled with grief, just ready to mourn. Maybe they came in shock. We have no idea what they felt before, but I can imagine what they felt right now. Not just that Jesus is alive. You don't have to be afraid anymore, but hey, he's just down the road. He's walking towards Galilee. Why don't you go see if you can catch him? So they go quickly and they run. They take off. I would take off too. How fast do you think they ran? If you're saying, hey, Jesus is alive and he's just down there, you just missed him. How quickly would you run? Run about as fast as I could. They lifted up their skirts and they took off. I'm sure, even they, but as they were running, I'm sure that run felt light. When you're running towards something that's exciting, it doesn't matter. It brings joy. I just think of most days when I come home, if nothing else exciting is going on, Calvin will run up to the door and yell, "Daddy's home!" and then runs because he's excited that I'm here. It's that kind of excitement, but on a whole nother level. And so I'm sure as they were running, I'm sure that run didn't feel too bad. I don't know how often they went out for a jog, probably not that often. But I bet their lungs, even as they were filling and they were having a hard time catching their breath, that they just kept going. And they kept running further than they'd ever run and faster than they'd ever run before. And I doubt it bothered them a bit because they wanted to go see Jesus. And even as their lungs are going and they're running, can only imagine, verse 9, and behold, which we don't use behold a lot, right? It's kind of old, Bible-y language. It just means, look, I'm sure one Mary, I don't know which Mary, one of the Marys, okay, as they're running, maybe they're racing, as they're running together, one of them says, look, Mary, I see someone. Do you think that's him? Could that be Jesus? And as they run and they get closer, it's far away. It's hard to tell, right? Wearing glasses or not wearing glasses. As so they come over the hill. As they get closer and closer and waving, maybe they yell out, Jesus! Is that you? And Jesus yells, greetings! Probably didn't wait till they were right there. I bet he shouted it at them. So as they get there, probably out of breath, they fall at his feet, half exhaustion, half ecstasy and elation, and worship him. Say, it is you, Jesus. You are alive. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. How big of a smile do you think was on Jesus' face when he saw them? I, I wish could have been there in that moment, in the joy and the laughter and the elation. Sometimes we can think worship and we can just think, you know, whatever it is for us, slow song, fast song, quiet, eyes closed, hands raised, real, real slow. I doubt it was like that in the moment. I'm feel, sure it was filled with laughter and smiling and joy and clapping and yelling, celebrating that Jesus was alive and right in front of them. And in front of them, they're they're sitting there and they're touching his feet. They take hold of his feet. Those are feet that they touched not that long ago. Feet that they may have touched as they were bloody and pierced with nails, hanging on the cross. Feet that they would have touched days ago as they wrapped him and prepared his body in the tomb. Feet that were cold Maybe rigor mortis set in, and they were stiff and hard. And yet here are his feet now, alive and pumping with blood and warm. And they worship him. And Jesus tells them, "Don't be afraid." You just wonder, well, why? Why do you say, "Don't be afraid"? I think they're really excited, right? Surely they're not filled with fear. Well, you know what I think this is? I don't know, but I think part of what Jesus is saying is don't be afraid, this isn't a dream. You haven't imagined this. This isn't just in your head. This isn't a trick. When you turn your back, I'm not gonna disappear. I'm still here, I am alive. Don't be afraid, you can trust what the angel said. You can trust your eyes. You can trust your hands that are touching me now. I am here and I am alive. This isn't a hallucination. Don't be afraid. So go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I'll see you again, Mary's. Go and tell everyone that I am alive. Tell Peter I'm alive. Tell John I'm alive. Tell your sons, James and John, I'm alive. Tell Thomas I'm alive. Tell my mother that I am alive. Tell the woman at the well that I am alive. Tell those lepers that I healed that I'm alive. Tell all the disciples, not just the 12, tell everyone who's following me that I'm here. Go and tell the world that I'm alive and I'm on my way. I am walking towards Galilee. I'll meet you there. Tell them I'm coming. And again, Jesus, he commissions these women to be the first to go and tell the story that Jesus is alive. He's defeated death. Tell them that I died on the cross, not just as a criminal and a victim of injustice in a kangaroo court, but I died as a sacrifice for your sins. I died and I have come back and your sins are forgiven. I've come back to life. I have the keys of death and Hades in my hand. Because I have come back to life, you can have resurrection hope. There is life available to you as well. Tell my disciples I'm alive and there is hope in this world. Not in other things, but in me. That's the story that the Word of God gives us. It tells us that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. Our application, or or point number three, is this. which story do you choose to believe? Which story do you choose to believe? This is the most important decision you can ever make. And all of us make this decision. You may think you just made this decision once, but this is a decision we have to make every single day. Do we really believe the story of the resurrection? Do you believe what the world would tell you, that Jesus is dead? It's a nice story. Maybe it's fun to talk about it on Easter, a dream. What kind of world would it be like if there actually was a God who loved me enough to die for me? But deep down, we we think and know, "Ah, that's not just made up. Do you believe what the world says about Jesus? Or do you believe what the angels and Jesus and God's word itself says? That Jesus is risen. Because here's the reality. If the world story is true, if Jesus is dead, if he didn't come back from the grave, then let's just get on with our lives okay, let's end this service early. Let's go home. Let's eat some good food and let's go find something better to do on Sundays. Let's move football up earlier. If Jesus is dead, then this morning is a waste of your time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus isn't resurrected, if he really is dead, if he didn't come back to life, then Christians should be pitied among all people. And you should feel especially bad for me, because this is what I've decided to dedicate my life to, of talking about the risen Jesus. And all I really have as a pastor is one story. You know, one sermon with about infinite applications, but it's all rooted in the fact that Jesus is alive, that he is risen. I don't really have life improvement tips for you, Okay, I don't have a list of things that if you do these, they're going to definitely make you a better spouse or friend or worker, grandparent, fill in the blank. I don't have that. I don't really have a lot of cute stories. I'm not that entertaining. I'm okay. Sometimes I even think I'm pretty good. But I'm not good enough that I'm better than… Some, you couldn't find something better to do on a Sunday morning. There's much better movies television, sports things that are coming out all the time. If Jesus is really dead, I wouldn't come here and listen to me talk on Sunday because I don't have anything else to say. If Jesus is really dead, I have no comfort to offer you in life. If Jesus is really dead, I have nothing to tell you when you're suffering. If Jesus is really dead, then when it, you are coming and facing death, I have nothing and no hope for you. All I have is the risen Savior. It can give you some empty, meaningless cliches, but I really just have Jesus. I have nothing to offer you except for the story of a God who loves you so much he was unwilling to leave you in your sin who even as you rebelled against him, even as you spit at him, even as you doubt him and ignore him at every turn, who looked at you and said, I love that one. You know what? And the Trinity gathered around and they sat and talked. They said, let's go save them. Jesus, did you go put on human flesh? Did you go live as a baby? Embrace all the limitations of humanity. Walk around in human skin. Die on the cross. Live the perfect life so that you can deliver them and come back from the grave and save them from their sins because they can't do it on their own. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for all of our sins. Not just the really good people, but the really, really bad people as well, including the criminals next to him. And his death is not the end of the story. He came back to life. He conquered sin and death in his resurrection. And he offers that resurrection life to you. That's what I have for you. That's all I have for you. I'm not really interested in making up something else. If the story the world says is true, I've got nothing for you. But if the story that God's word said is true, I have everything to offer you. Eternal life not life in heaven one day and that's it. I have eternal life to offer you right now through the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you're curious about Jesus, if you've been on the edge of Jesus, if you've been like me and you've kept Jesus at a distance for a long time, I invite you to believe the the risen Savior has resurrection life available for you. I don't have a list or things you have to sign to do it. There's no catch. All you have to do is embrace and believe the story. Believe that Jesus really is risen. Admit that you are a sinner. That your life, you can't do it on your own. That you need help. And not that just that you need help, but you need Jesus to come and save you. Believe that he's risen and beg for his grace and come and experience the resurrection life that is available to all at the cross. If that's you, I'd invite you to come talk to me after the service. Come talk to any of our elders. Talk to someone I would love to answer your questions to help you embrace Jesus. And for those of you who are in this room already, you too need this story. And like the Marys and the guards in the tomb, you need to tell the story of the resurrection. And there's two people you need to tell this story to. The first person you need to tell this story to is to yourself. You need to tell yourself that Jesus is risen. You need to remind yourself every day, daily, hourly, that Jesus is alive. You need to remember the gospel. We serve the living God. And we need that every single day. That's not just something we embrace and then we become believers and then we move on to the really exciting, more important stuff. There's nothing more exciting or nothing more important than the fact that Jesus comes and saves us, and he does all of it. We need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. We can't move past it, we can't outgrow our need to hear it. We're a greenhouse here at Tanglewood. We want to be a greenhouse where everyone, wherever you're at spiritually, we can help all of us grow. And we're all at different stages. We all need different things. But here's what we all need. All of us need to be reminded of the gospel every single day. And you need to hear this story not just once a year on Easter Sunday, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and every day of your life. So tell yourself the story, and then also, if those of you are believers, you need to tell others the story. You need to tell people that Jesus is alive. There are so many things that we tell people throughout the course of our day. Strangers, family, friends, we tell them all sorts of things, don't we? Tell them how our day was going. Tell them some headline we saw. Tell them about something exciting or something terrible that happened. We tell people our frustrations, our struggles. We tell people all of our opinions on news and politics. We've got plenty of things that we don't mind sharing. But how often are you also telling people about Jesus? Because two, if we all need to be reminded of the gospel daily, that means you can't tell somebody too much. You can't remind them too often. So how often are you telling and sharing the story of the resurrection of Jesus? Or are you just assuming that everybody knows it? I'm not willing to make that assumption. We live in the Bible Belt. I know there's a lot of churches in Duncan. I still think there's a lot of people in many of those churches, maybe in our room this morning too, that don't really know Jesus. And so, what do we do? We need to tell people about the risen Savior. You don't need to have all of the answers. You don't need to have all of the philosophical questions figured out. You don't need all the theology degrees. You don't need to go to seminary. Okay, what did the women at the tomb have? Nothing. They just were told, hey, Jesus is alive. Go tell people. That's enough. You don't even need all the confidence in the world. You don't need to be the most gifted evangelist that's ever lived. You just need to know that Jesus is alive. And to go tell someone and love them, and love and tell everyone you come into contact with, hoping that they will embrace Jesus, telling everyone that Jesus died and came back to life for them, and for you, and for me. So there are two stories that we can believe this Easter. There's two stories about Easter. Either Jesus is dead, which is the story of the world. There's the story of the Word of God that Jesus is alive. So which story do you believe? Not just which story did you believe one day, but which story do you believe this morning? Which story are you going to believe this afternoon? And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, or you're not sure which story you want to believe, I I beg you, He is risen. Would you embrace Him? The resurrection life is available to you. All you have to do is ask for it. And for those of us who know Jesus, we need to tell the story of the resurrection with our words and with our love and the way that we live, that the resurrection of Jesus would come out in every single thing that we say or do. Because he is risen. Believe the story. I'm gonna close this, or I'm gonna pray and invite our worship team to come up and lead us in in a song. So we can, like the Mary's at the tomb, fall at the feet of Jesus and worship him this morning. Lord, I, I thank you that you are risen. Lord, I ask that you would remind us daily. Lord, that we would not become numb to this miracle. Lord, I ask that every single person in this room would embrace the risen savior. Maybe there are some of us who have walked with you for decades, would you help us again to be reminded of the gospel? Would you beat it into our skull? Lord, for those who may be in this room who don't know you, would you call and draw them to yourself? Would they experience the new resurrection life that you offer freely? Lord, would you help all of us because we can't believe you without your help. We so often doubt, we so often forget, we so often get distracted and fail. But that's why you came and died in the first place. Lord, would you help everyone in this room to embrace and believe the resurrection and not to stop there, but to go and to tell the world. pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue to worship. Made like Him, we too will rise, both now and when He comes again. just want to read this benediction for you from thir- Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Remember that He is alive today. You're dismissed.